Welcome to the 10x Managers Podcast, where we interview different managers and leaders each week to share their experiences, learnings and insights so that you can challenge and support your own professional development. If you're not already a member of the 10x Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you will be able to access all our archived content, including video interviews, written learning summaries and resources that help you action and implement all the ideas shared in our interviews. You can also join the community discussion and collaborate with other 10x managers. I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much for joining us today, Simon, and thank you to everybody in the audience as well for today's version of Manager Interview Insights. We're joined by Simon Pryor. Simon, do you want to give us a quick introduction uh, to get us kicked off? Sure. I'm Simon Pryor. I am the head of QA at EasyJet. Yeah, so I, I've I've been a in the head of QA role since January, and I've been in management since about 2018. So um, I've gone through different roles, but started as a test manager in 2018, and I'm now made my way up into head of QA across various companies. Well, no, thank thank you for sharing that, Simon, and uh, really looking forward to having a chat today. And understanding a little bit more about your uh, experiences, your insights, your learnings, um, and, and really help the community uh, learn from, from your uh, from your experiences as well. So, if we get kicked off with, what do you see as the role of a manager? Um, for me, management is all. For me, management is all about the people. Um, I've always been one that said people over process. It's it's definitely important to get the balance right. But I, I truly believe that a manager's main role, or at least my as a manager, my main role has always been to empower and grow my team in the best, in the, to upskill them, to give them the tools to do their roles effectively, um, and to be that servant leader for them. Okay, really interesting. And when we talk about uh, people have a process and the balance, obviously it's a really difficult balance to get. How do you think about that? How do you start working out when you're too people focused and then you're getting too to focus on the process how does that sit with you so i think uh, as i've as i've progressed into more senior positions that balance has obviously changed um and, and now being a, the head of department it's i have to get the strategic view as 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 a priority but i also need to make sure i've got the right people underneath me to to carry on the people management and uh, the nurturing of the teams um at all levels um so as a as a junior manager i can definitely say that you know get your people make sure you've got your people you know close by you you've you've built that rapport with them you're you're nurturing them you're you're providing that level of leadership that they need to support to be supported um but you're providing that direction so you know you'll lean on the team a lot but from a technical side you probably still need to give that direction as you get more senior and you have more senior people underneath you you don't need to give so much direction anymore because you've got people that are able to do direction for themselves but you then need to provide that that support to them and that may be more of a servant leadership as being a coach being being a mentor for them and and being that aid to come and talk to if they need need some something to figured out um using you as a sounding board but you showing you that you showing them that you've got their backs and i think that role evolves mm-hmm. as you as you get more senior okay really, really interesting and i'm sure we'll end up touching on a few of those points as well um as we continue through the conversation today so let, let's go into superpowers. So uh, it's a question that we ask everyone and everyone gets a little bit embarrassed uh, when we ask the question. 
But when you look at your kind of career in management and leadership, where do you see your superpowers lying? So I think, um, and I think my superpowers, and actually I'm, I'm on a sort of uh, internal um, high-performance leadership course at the moment. We've just done psychometric tests and stuff on that. And um, one of the things that come out as my huge strength was my networking and and ability to sort of bring people together. And I think that's definitely it, mm-hmm. being able to be a storyteller, be able to bring people together for a shared purpose, being able to, you know, use my network to, to my advantage in some respects. And that's how that's happened internally with a lot of things where, you know, I've been trying to change the culture, especially within testing, whereas historically testing has always been seen as this bolt on or thing that happens at the end of a software cycle. Um, mm-hmm. We're trying to change the culture into a culture of quality where testing and quality is thought of throughout. And that has happened through me. Um, being willing to stand up in front of audiences internally and say, look, this is how we're going to do things. I've got these ideas. Let's bring you on the journey and get everyone on board, not just the test team, to sit to come around to mm-hmm. our way of thinking. So I definitely feel that the networking and, and bringing people on board is, is, is my superpower. That's really interesting. And uh, I think it's something that regardless of your seniority or the function that you're within, getting people around you to buy into your ideas to make change is really important. So talk us through that process a little bit. How, how have you gone about trying to create that change in culture and getting people to um, ultimately buy into those ideas? So I have I have just recently done a, um, a keynote talk on, on this exact subject of um, how I brought EasyJet on that journey. Um, really, it started with um, I had to sort of set a vision, you know, where I wanted us mm-hmm. to go. And I use the term quality narrative, which is from the book Leading Quality um, by Ronald Cummings, John and O.A.'s peer. And, and they talk about this quality narrative and having a quality narrative for your organization. So I defined a quality narrative as this is where we are now from a testing and quality perspective. This is where we want to be. And it went from, you know, where we are now was very manual, very end of project focused, um, you know, different ways of working in different teams to a standardized view we're advocates of quality. We're involved from the very start of projects and only pieces of work. We're a key part of the puzzle for delivering software and not just seen as an as, a, as an afterthought or a bolt on. And then it was mm-hmm. like, right, there's our there's our as is and to be. How do we get to that to be? And then there was the four stages I developed of. First of all, you have to engage your team. So engage them, get them on board build out values that you believe in. And we've got our quality engineering principles that we've built at EasyJet that we've got the team collaboratively to build together. The next stage is then sharing that and raising awareness. So so you engage the team, then you you raise the awareness both internally with the team and also externally to the wider business. Um, you might use, also start setting up com- communities internally by having external speakers come and talk and start sharing that passion and growing that knowledge internally then it's as i say sharing with the wider community finding your allies so people outside of your function that really believe in what you're doing and get them on board and help them spread that message further and then the final stage is once you've got all those bits in place is you can then start making changes and demonstrating the changes to the business like maybe putting test automation in place or changing the way we do testing or introducing different bits and pieces you can then share it and it gets widely accepted because you've got all the buy-in already so it becomes a lot easier to Uh make change and demonstrate how improving things but then that's a cyclic that's a cyclic loop you know it's an iterative cycle 
you get feedback on the stages and you then go around and do it all again and you can continue that process and over time that helps grow grow um the culture obviously there's there's um bumps in the road there's always resistance there's always people that don't quite get what you're trying to do um but you know it's about working through that and as an advocate trying to get people on board is is now my role i'm advocating for what my teams are doing and and trying to mm. sort of really bring the right level of leadership from others to understand what we need to do fantastic and so starting with that vision is that something that um you create in silo and then look to find buy-in or are you developing that collaboratively how does that work so i mean i have you know i have ideas and i i would never go and mandate this is what we're doing um i would take my ideas to the group and say that we need to really set a vision here that we're working towards this is you know what are your thoughts get them all to think about what they want to do and then bring it all together and say, well, here's my thoughts as well. This is where they align. Let's work on this together and evolve that. And um, a couple of brainstorming sessions. It might be with my direct leadership team. It might be with the wider group, but really want to have everyone engaged. They all feel part of it because the more engaged they are, the more buy-in you have and the, the more natural it feels when you're trying to set a vision that everyone's like, oh, well, I didn't know anything about this. You know, you want to avoid that at all costs, really. You want to have everyone going, oh, yeah, we're all agreed with this. And then they start talking about it as well. Mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. So ultimately, you're, you're as much as possible avoiding the need to actually convince people because hopefully they'll already be in agreement and alignment with what you're doing. Um, you mentioned yeah, that there and- were, of course... Sorry, Carol. No, as I say, yeah, absolutely. It's just, uh, you know, I obviously... I might make the the final key decision on exactly how it's worded or whatever else, but I want to make sure that everyone's on the journey with us. Yeah. So it shouldn't be a surprise for anybody when they do see what's exactly. happening. And that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned that there are, there were cases whereby there might be a little bit more resistance or you have to actually spend some time uh, convincing people. What are your biggest tips or advice for trying to win people around to these sorts of ideas? Um, Adapt your style to work with it. Adapt your style to communicate with them. I had one instant I've talked about a few times on my podcast that I do as well um, in a previous role um, when I was trying to do something similar. Um, I had a PM that was really resistant to testers being involved at any point earlier than the very end of a project. Um, He didn't want to fund it. He didn't want to spend money on it. He just wanted testers involved right at the end to do their manual test before we release. And I was trying to convince him and he was just not having it at all. It was not something. So I started to sort of changing my the way I was speaking to him about it and talking in different terms and reducing down the scope of what I was going to try and suggest and then talking about ROI and and looking at it differently. So I wasn't speaking his language in the original incident. He had his view on how things were. It was all about cost. It was all about delivery time. I was coming in, well, we'll just get testers in at the start. We're going to test from day one. They're like, oh, no, that's too expensive. We can't do that. So now I was starting to change that to be more about you know ROI. Well, if we get testers in earlier, then mm-hmm. it reduces the need for a big test cycle at the end, so we can deliver earlier, or you know the cost mm-hmm. changes and and all that kind of thing, and just changing the way you think about things and try and put it in their language, in their terms, in their way of understanding. And it wasn't easy. It took some convincing. It was you know me regularly buying him coffee and talking about it and and trying to share ideas and. And showing him the small steps of progress along the route before he was finally like, yeah, fair enough. And once he was won over, he then shared that with other PMs within the organization. Hey, you should talk to Simon about their way of testing. It's far more effective than 
than this model. And yeah, it is just about being prepared to change the way you're you're narrating your message um, uh, and, and uh. articulate it in a way that they understand rather than going in with the same set words every time. You need to think about how you're narrating it. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So it's understanding the person you're trying to convince, understand what they are yeah. measured by and what they care about, and then adapt that story to, yeah. to, to try and fit those, yeah, uh, absolutely. Fit, fit their language, basically. No, I like it. I think that's a, a really a neat framework um, and one that I think a lot of people can uh, replicate a, a, and apply to their own world as well. So I think that was really useful there. So, so thank you. Um, you also mentioned that kind of one of those strengths, and I know it's, it's associated with what we spoke about here, but it's networking, bringing people together and ultimately getting them aligned around ideas and ways of working. Is there anything else that's kind of worth sharing? Any things that you do here that you think uh, work particularly well? Well, I think it is. It's that it comes from building that sense of community, building that shared vision, shared group internally that everyone's part of, um, and then using that platform to bring external people in through net, through my network to talk about new ideas. So bringing people that are automation experts, bringing people that have done security testing, uh, performance testing, or any other forms of, you know, that we want to change something. So rather than me just talking at the front saying, I want us all to do performance testing, let's get someone in that makes performance testing interesting to talk to, an, to you for an hour, show you some demonstrations of some tools that we could possibly try using, and then give everyone the empowerment to go away and try things. And that's the other key part as well. You have to create an environment that there's a safety of failure. You know, if I fail, I'm not going to get hauled over hot brick, hot coals for. I'm going to, you know, be allowed the time to learn from that that failure and try again um, and do that with new tools, do that with new processes. Oh, I've got this idea. I want to try this. Okay, let's go and try it. Come back to me in a week when you've had a go at looking at it and see how it goes and we'll, we'll look at the results. And just giving people that empowerment that it's okay to try new things. Not we're going to try new things all the time because we still have a day job of getting work done. But if we can imply some of these new things into our day-to-day work to improve the way we do things and to make us more productive, to make us uh, more effective, then absolutely I'm all on board for trying it. But let's just make sure that we don't just try things, you know, go full throttle into it and actually realize three months, six months later down the line, yeah, that didn't work. We should have stopped after week one. Um Let's, let's just keep that continuous loop of feedback on it. So that's it's a long-winded answer, but that's that's you know the the safe to fail environment and the the community are all kind of linked together of of how we empower the teams to do more. It, it's really interesting, and um, they're, they're two I think important topics uh, as well. Um, I think it was really interesting actually how you you refer to it as a community rather than just a, a team, and I think even using that language shows how you think about this. It's actually you've got a a shared group of people with interests and desires and ambitions and, and you're thinking how can I actually serve that community rather than just being a team in order to get things done so I think it was that just the way that you think about things I, I yeah I have I do use the term community internally as well and, and I think it comes from being part of the external software community and and running a meetup and all that internal community that community as well you kind of get that community sense and actually there's a lot of good practices in in an external community that you can bring internally and actually it was the step that brought a lot of the the team out of their shells a lot of them were very much we've done testing this way we've always done it this way we're always going to continue doing it this way i you know i I clock in at nine o'clock i clock off at five o'clock i don't think about testing again um whereas actually bringing in that mindset of there's more to it 
there's different ways we can improve stuff. There's more exciting ways to do this work. We're not just a tick box activity. Got them all energized, got them all thinking, yes, there's more to this. Let's learn more things. Let's do more things. Let's do trainings. Let's be part of the community. And, you know, I'm not saying everyone needs to be part of the external communities as well, because that's not feasible. Everyone has lives, but it, it is it is it is useful for people to start learning that there's more to the way we do things than the way we do it internally and and that's a really powerful thing for people to start picking up on yeah i love that and i think a lot of people could uh could, can again they could take that and do that within their organization i think there's clearly a lot of value to it as well so i really really like that so thank you for sharing that with us Simon. yeah and, and, um, and that's one of the reasons why kind I... of coach sorry <laughs> Sorry, that's one of, <laughs> that's one of the one of the things why I gave the talk as well because from that talk you know I've been already asked three or four times to go and give that talk internally at some other companies test community meetings so I'm more than happy to sort of be mm. one of those catalysts that helps helps companies on that journey to transform the way they look at quality and etc cetera, etc cetera. that's great no no brilliant no thank you for that um you also then mentioned um psychological safety creating that kind of um environment where it's okay to fail um it's a really really obviously important principle but it can be quite hard to do um again you're at a position now where you're managing other managers and teams where you also need them to be able to create a team of environment uh, of safety as well um what are you doing day to day to make sure that that exists across your whole department? Um, so I, just to start with, I, I, the reason it's a passion of mine is because I've had bad experiences in the past where I worked in environments where it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't very friendly. It wasn't very safe to fail. There was a lot of finger pointing um, to the point that I had, you know, mental health issues in the past where, you know, I reached burnout because I was trying to so hard to, please everyone without making any failures that I hit, I, you know, I run myself into the ground. Um, and I've done that a couple of times and uh, in different roles. Mm -hmm. So now I've got to a point where I'm much more understanding of my limitations. And I also encourage my team to be open about their limitations. And that's one of the things with my managers is we need to understand our team's limitations on a personal level and then, uh, you know, an emotional level, et cetera, et cetera, and not push them beyond that. Um, and we, I have regular conversations with my, my direct reports. I, I check in with them every day, not, you know, not for long discussions, but just to try and understand, you know, how they're feeling, how's the workload, is there anything I can help with? Um, give me a shout if there's something you want me to check over. I'm more than happy to support. And just so they know that I've got their backs. And then I would hope that they're pushing that down into their teams as well so that they, they feel they've got that mm -hmm. support from me and they can then have that strength to do the same for their teams. Um, and it's just that, you know, constant conversation, whether it be over Teams chat, whether it be Slack, whether it be WhatsApp, just keeping in touch and, and building those relationships with your team. It's not about being best buddies, but it's about being close enough that you can get mm. the best out of each other and be a sounding board and be the support that they need to, to do their job effectively. Mm -hmm. and, and what sort of um, opportunities do you give your employees to be open honest obviously you've got one-to-ones and you've got potential surveys that you might do is there anything in particular that you do to, to, to really facilitate that environment where people can be open and share concerns and uh, worries and those sorts of things yeah there are that you know we have our community events where we do regular retrospectives as well as part of you know what are we doing 
that we could improve? How is everyone feeling? Is anyone feeling like they're, that they're taking on too much? Do we need to look differently at how we source things? Um, so yeah, uh, and like I say, an open open policy with um, one-to-ones. I never set an agenda to talk through project stuff. It's always just about you know, how are you? How's how's yeah. everything going work-wise? Is there anything I can support? There is, you know, if I wanted status meetings, I'd, I'd book safe status meetings separately. One-to-ones are our time to discuss. My laptop's closed unless it's virtual and then obviously I need it open for that but I'm switching everything else off so I'm not disturbed by messages and I'm here to listen for half an hour or an hour however long we've got to talk to you and understand how you are feeling as a person not not to talk about oh this project's in the red this project's amber etc etc if I want status meetings I'll do that separately and I think that's that's key they then know that they've got that time with me I'm dedicated to them for that hour or for half an hour or however long it is and I can support them in any way they need Makes a lot of sense. I'm going to just pivot the conversation slightly, Simon, and move on to maybe some of the harder times that you've had throughout your managerial leadership career. Um, so looking back over that time, is there anything in particular that stands out as maybe being the biggest challenge um, that you've had? Um, my biggest, I think my biggest challenge was in my first management role, um, one of the times that I hit burnout, I went from being a technical lead, very hands-on, to suddenly managing two teams, one in the UK, one in Ireland, overnight, um, literally without any trans, you know, there was no sort of build-up time of you're going to take on two teams. It was literally, we've made the decision, you're now a QA manager, you're going to have two teams, you need to build a team from scratch in, in Ireland for a different product. Um, so, yeah, good luck kind of thing. Um, luckily, I had a very supportive manager um, who, you know, was the one that taught me how to be a people manager rather than being a technical manager. Um but that mm-hmm. was a challenge because my mindset changed from being the technical go-to person to suddenly being the one responsible for signing off people's leave and um, having to do all the admin stuff alongside still trying to keep my hand in the technical steps. So the challenge there was, you know, I need to hire a brand new team. I need to figure out how to hire because I've never hired mm-hmm. before. Um, and also still keeping the current team who have quite old, long in the tooth, quite, you know, been in the job for quite a while keep them motivated keep them going as well um and i did i did take it too much i did try too hard to please everyone i got to a point where i was working 16 hour days you know speaking to my bosses in the us in the evening speaking to my offshore test team in india in the morning my days were ridiculously long ridiculously long i had a two-year-old and a six-month-old at home as well so times were tough and i i let myself get burnt out um and I never really recovered from that in that company. I, I stayed for another three or four months after I'd come back from burnout and realized I needed to change. I probably, again, with that, I was probably hasty in where I moved to because it was the first company that showed interest. And it was a bit of a um, baptism of fire moving into a more senior role at that point, um, working for a company where I didn't really know the lay of the land. I did my best to try and improve things, um, but ultimately it wasn't the right cultural fit for me. So I ended up moving on again, and that's where I landed at EasyJet. And you know, since then it's just been going from strength to strength, and really found found my home, found where I want to grow, found where I want to help grow my teams, and, and really help push forward. So the challenges really have been those changes of cultures in in companies um, mm. and changing of role without really having the support in place at the time to. To, to become a manager 
you know, not having that, oh, you, we're going to mm. send you on a management training course. No, actually, no, it was just from one to the next overnight with my manager as my only real training mechanism. It sounds like it was a really difficult time for you in, in that period. Um, but I'm sure it's actually one that a lot of other managers and first-time managers in particular will resonate with that kind of feeling of overwhelm, demands coming from all over the place. Um, obviously, you're doing lots of things for the first time. If you reflect back on that period, um, is there anything that you could, would now do differently in the future that maybe others can learn from if they're currently in that place? I think I would have, um, knowing what I know now, I would have um, challenged more mm -hmm. at the time and requested more um, uh, sort of time to, to, to pick up the role or to look at things differently and do one thing at a time rather than having to do it all at mm -hmm. once. Um, I think, I, yeah, I definitely would have, I would have had a strategy on how I would have approached it rather than trying to do everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my, my organization as a manager has, cha has improved since then. So I would have been able to, you know, prioritize the things that needed to be done right away and the things that I could have left till later. Like, for instance, with the offshore, with the team in Ireland, I went ahead and, and tried to hire all of them at the same time. And actually, I should have gone back and gone, right, I need someone technical that's going to lead that team to start with. And then I'll grow from the mm -hmm. ground. You know, I'll bring in the graduates later. But what happened was the two graduates came in first. And the, the lead didn't come until six months later, once I got agreement for the fifth person to be joining the team. So actually, I should have gone in where well, one of the first people I want in is a senior or a lead to drive that team so that I can hand over that from my uh, my own perspective so I can sort of not have to do all the groundwork as well. Um, so that would have helped um, helped um, in, in, a, in a much more effective way. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, and like you said, I suppose that refers you back to your earlier point as well about creating that kind of safe culture is it's clearly there wasn't that kind of culture environment in there that gave you the confidence to have those conversations with, with, with the people around you and, and those sorts of things and obviously that's why it's so important to you now in order to create that and ensure everyone else feels that they, they can share those problems and share those challenges so no, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, Simon, so could you tell us about a, a time or a moment over your leadership career that's had the biggest impact on you. And again, that's quite an open term in terms of impact. It could be impacting yourself or your team or your business, but just something that really stands out as a moment that, that, that had impact. I could probably talk about a couple. Um, I'll, the first one was, um, I think I mentioned it previously in, in the other questions, but I talked about when I was in my first management role and I was I went, I took on two teams, one mature team and one brand new team in Ireland. And it got me to a point of I was working long days because I was still working with India. So I was on early morning calls, America in the evening because the bosses were all in America. Long days. I got to the point where I hit burnout um, and I ended up collapsing at home in front of the kids at the table and spending the day in A&E um, because of the, the stress and everything. It just just, just took over. Um, and that made me rethink my priorities and mm. rethink my values and I put together my my leadership values and my testing values at that point that I would try and stick to and it helped me identify that the role I was in at that point was conflicting with my beliefs my values that I was trying to build towards with my team you know my ethos of, of how I grew um, as a manager and as a, as, a, as a team member as well so I ended up making the decision to leave after 12 years in the same company which was a big decision um mm. 
and I jumped too soon into the next role. I took on a more senior role I, and I, I was I was wowed by what I was told beforehand and it, it wasn't the right environment for me. And that again had an impact on my on my mental health um, and I ended up leaving there after a year. But it gave me, it, that. what I'm saying is it's the, the mental health part was a, was a big impact on me and it made me make the right choice this time around mm-hmm. with the role, role I took on. I found somewhere where people are put first. Yes, it's a busy environment. But, you know, well-being is very high on the agenda. And for me, that as a manager, that's in something that I'm trying to, to, to make sure is important in my teams as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it all comes down to that element of um, knowing, your, knowing, knowing your values, sp- taking time to self-reflect and then putting that into practice. And that, that is the process that I've worked through. And I'm now in a place where I'm, I'm building a team. They're all into, under the same ethos that I'm, I'm trying to put together. You know, people first, you know, people before projects, the projects will take care of themselves. So the people are happy. Um, and just, yeah, trying to build that caring, sharing kind of uh, environment. No, it's, it's really interesting. And it, it's interesting that you um, tackle those challenges by aligning it to and reflecting on the values that, kind of mean something to you we, we interviewed um someone called af malhotra a couple of weeks ago um, and, and he discussed how that's a really important step for all managers and leaders to take to really understand what is authentic leadership to yourself and then actually f- f- picking an environment for you what what sort of values did you come to in there that that, that you now stand by uh so the leadership values were all around um um evangelizing for my team empowering the team so basically being that cheerleader for them empowering them to speak up for themselves protecting them from the um the wider wider um stuff that can go on and 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 getting them impacted by that and nurturing them so those are my four leadership values to make sure that i'm always protecting nurturing empowering and evangelizing um and and that i've stood by that since and it's held me in good stead so far with my my leadership side then i had more mm-hmm. testing related ones about not committing to a to 100% automation and you know that kind of thing doesn't exist and and making sure testing's involved early but yeah it's the leadership ones were really about the people making sure they were prioritized and looked after but also given the opportunities to empower be empowered and 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 be their cheerleader Mm, no makes sense and it it sounds like you've had good experience and bad experiences in this but obviously finding an organization that you can operate as that type of leader is really important because certain culture certain environments won't enable you to do that what would your advice be to people looking for new organizations and looking for new roles to make sure that or to give them the best opportunity that they find something that is kind of authentic to themselves and they can fit within um I would say it's, you know, make sure you do your research on the company. Um, look, look, don't just um, don't just listen to the person you're speaking to on the phone. Do your research, you know, look on LinkedIn and find out what you can about the company. Look on Glassdoor, find out the reviews. At least you'll find the, you might not find much, you know, honesty in the true reviews, but even the slightest negative reviews will give you an insight into how bad it can be. Yeah. Um and then if, if you've got contacts already in the company, just start asking the question about work-life balance, about things like, do they have an employee, employee assistance program? You know, all these things that if things do go wrong, what's there to mm-hmm. support me? You know, how much mm-hmm. training support do we get? Do we get the ability to do training? Do we get the ability to su- be supported in growing in our roles? Or are we just expected to, you know, 
you know 12 hour days working non-stop on project stuff it's about making sure there's the right balance there's the right concern for people what opportunities are there to grow um and and yeah just looking at that wider culture as well no no that's really good advice i think so i appreciate that simon and i think that's probably us out of time as well for today um but look i really appreciate you thank you for listening to the 10x managers podcast don't forget to subscribe so you can keep up to date for when we interview different managers and leaders every week. Remember, if you're not already a member of the 10X Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you can join the community discussion, access all our archive content and resources that ultimately help you to take action and make change.